Hello from Abhyankar's IS to our listeners. I'm Ruparna, your host, and welcome to our seventh episode of UPSC Prep Decoded, where today we shall be discussing India and its Republic on the occasion of 26 January 2021. In conversation with our director and mentor, Ashay Abhyankar, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me, Ruparna. So we shall be celebrating 71 years of India becoming a republic. How has India grown as a republic, especially when our constitution seems to be a patchwork of all other constitutions? The Indian growth story is absolutely remarkable. If you look at our GDP growth, being in the top five GDP producers all over the world, India strides with regard to information technology. The recent strides with regard to a homegrown vaccine for COVID only tell you that India's growth story is going to get better and better. Certain factors that are going to aid this process are going to be a very rich demographic dividend that we are going to reap by 2025. 50 percent of India's population is going to be under 25 years of age. Now, if this population is healthy, if it is skilled, if it is developed, we are going to be able to see an explosion of human capital, human resource, and human development. So, India is definitely on a growth trajectory. We have been able to bring into control. a lot of issues that were plaguing india in its nascent years of independence and if you compare india's growth story over the past 71 72 odd years with many other countries that have had similar backgrounds at independence i would be proud to state that india is firmly on the path of growth and inclusive development so now focusing on the part where our constitution is a patchwork of all other constitutions do you see any growth in that aspect as a republic absolutely the constitution is a living document and when india was piecing together its own constitution the word patchwork is only half the story told because this was a patchwork that was suited to indian history geography ethos culture etc so though we have borrowed extensively from constitutions all over the world we have been able to evolve a distinctiveness to suit our own environment the constitution has definitely grown with regard to the amendments that it has seen in laws legislations provisions to ensure equal sustainable equitable and inclusive growth for example if you look at article 21a that has ensured that education and access to education become a fundamental right the abolition of the right of property from a fundamental right to a legal right extension of article 15 to provide protective discrimination or reservation to the economically weaker sections of society are just some of the factors that i can think of right now to only elaborate the fact that the constitution is living it's growing it's surviving it's sustaining very well to meet the challenges of the 21st century world order right so so this brings us to another question that in all these years we have seen the federal structure changing which is essentially a part of our republic evolving sometimes for the good and sometimes for not so good could you give us a critical evaluation of it especially with the trends that have been followed over these years uh, that's a very good question ruparna when you ideally look at india's constitution the structural part of the constitution begins with the sentence that india is a union of states This statement is very important because it reiterates the quasi-federal nature of the Indian polity. So, though we are a federal structure, 
a centrifugal federal structure, it is always the union before the states. At independence, India witnessed a model of asymmetrical federalism. So you had multiple federating units. You had states, you had union territories, you had union territories that were enjoying powers of partial or complete statehood. And as a result of that, law and order administration, a better coordination between center and states was becoming a bit of a challenge, particularly with regard to financial, legislative and executive functions. So over the years, our federal structure is trying to create some kind of a parity, particularly with finance, particularly with legislation, and particularly with executive functions to ensure a degree of uniformity that will be required in the entire legislative mechanism in the country. For example, the introduction of the GST that subsumed a number of indirect taxes and created central financial structure is a step in this regard. Or the recently introduced Pradhan Mantri Jan Arogya Yojana, where you look at access reach of healthcare to all as an issue that overrides different states and looks at a pan-Indian picture with regard to access to healthcare. Or whether you look at the one nation, one card scheme with regard to ration supplies. So you realize that over the years, we are trying to bring in certain amount of symmetry with regard to laws, with regard to legislations, with regard to governance, and with regard to general functioning, as far as the federating units and the union is concerned. All right, sir. So now the question to you is that when India started out as a fledgling nation, we were resolute to keep our commitment to Fabian socialism. Hence, it has been inscribed in our constitution that we are a welfare state. Are we still a welfare state, sir? Or have we shifted our trajectories? Welfare is a core and critical function of every country. Whether it have leanings towards capitalism, socialism or communism. So the understanding of welfare remains uniform. The environment of its operation could change with regard to the ideological settings. For example, one of the largest healthcare models in the world, the NHS, runs in Britain, which apart from being a democracy, also prides itself towards its capitalist leanings. The similar story can be told about America when it introduced Obamacare, touted to be a very, very widespread health model based on assurance and insurance. And a slew of Indian schemes and programs that have come about in a decade or so, whether they be the Pradhan Mantri Jan Arogya Yojana that we just spoke about, touted to be the world's biggest and largest healthcare model, whether it be outreach for social sector initiatives, employment, skill development, India remains steadfast to its welfare goals. And the entire logic and the thought process behind welfare being the crux of any governance process is because the focus towards an egalitarian and equitable society is the bedrock of any political structure that provides governance in any environment or in any country. All right, sir. So in reference to my previous questions, how have we dealt with our finances, especially with an ever-evolving tax structure where we are trying to do away with tax terrorism and bring in tax transparency for the Republic of India as a whole? You see, developing countries always saw a large degree of tax evasion. 
this could be attributed to the fact of a parallel economy, what you also called as a black economy. So large-scale transactions in cash allowed people to evade the payment of direct taxes. So to boost the tax collection, a large chunk of indirect taxes were slapped on citizens. Now we are reforming our tax structure to ensure that the indirect taxes can be subsumed into one GST so that we are able to streamline the indirect tax collection mechanism and we're able to evolve and move towards higher direct tax collection. This is important for the social and economic infrastructural growth of the country. Now, having said this, one important issue to bear in mind is that simplification of tax regimes actually helps in avoiding complications and conflicts. So the entire focus on e-mechanism, whether it be for tax filing, for grievance redressal, ventilation, adjudication, IT is the way forward. It helps boost confidence in the minds of citizens. It creates a very positive perception among the citizenry as a whole with regard to their duties towards complying with tax requirements, paying timely tax, and contributing to the growth and welfare of this nation. So multiple IT initiatives for the income tax and for direct and indirect tax collection have actually boosted the tax collections. They have been able to prevent frauds related to tax avoidance. And they have also tried to integrate a large number of players who hitherto were not a part of the tax structure to actually come into the system to file their returns and to benefit through the payment of tax. One important question here, Uparna, to bear in mind is, that when you are a part of the formal tax or financial structure, the benefit is twofold. One, you usually benefit the development of the country because you are a direct contributor to its social and economic growth and welfare. And secondly, you are able to enjoy the access to finance, to loans, to allow your own business to grow because you are a formal recorded taxpayer with documents in place for you to benefit from the same. All right, sir. Sir, so now coming to a very important question. With India gaining independence through legitimate means, it's shown like a beacon for all previously colonized nations and their struggle. Has our foreign policy over these many years lived up to the same ideals that we have stood for when we envisioned India as a nation state with sovereignty? A wonderful question, Ruparna. Now, when you look at the India's independence story, if I were to say that, it's novel in multiple sorts. One, it was one wherein the ruler and the ruled departed as friends. Two, it was a freedom movement or a struggle that was fought with minimum amount of bloodshed, with very strong values towards non-violence, towards peace, inclusion, and towards building a movement that was based on principles that led us to independence. India's civilizational past of over 10,000 years and its ethos and its values are very well reflected in India's foreign policy. The founding pillars of the foreign policy remain the non-alignment, which is a cornerstone, along with the panchasheen that talks about peaceful coexistence. So though there have been changes in the global world order, from a unipolar to a bipolar world, to back to a unipolar world, to a multipolar world today, with multiple regional engagements, alliances, groupings, associations, institutions, it would be fair to state that India's foreign policy has evolved, but 
its inherent basic foundational strands remain just the same for example let's look at a focus on the concept of strategic autonomy now india believes in building strategic partnerships economic partnerships cultural partnerships with many many countries for example we have a very very strong economic and defense partnership with the united states we have had one with russia as well but having said that one of the most important factors in this partnership has been that we have not given up on our autonomy or our independence because we are operating only within a framework so that becomes a very very critical part of how the foreign policy remains the same but it still changes all right sir now this is a question that i felt is very relevant that when jawaharlal nehru addressed the nation from the ramparts of red fort long years ago we made a tryst with destiny and now the time comes when we shall redeem our pledge not wholly or in full measure but very substantially so do you think we have been able to do it especially with poverty and hunger in this country india at independence had multiple challenges and one of the foremost challenges was a teeming population to add to it was the exodus that came into this country at independence owing to partition we struggled through very very abject levels of poverty we also struggled with hunger that was absolute a uh, economic and physical scarcity of food so india has now been able to evolve very well with different approaches to tackle these problems the green revolution solved india's physical scarcity of food almost to its entirety multiple poverty alleviation schemes have ensured that the basic amenities to life employment a house access to education to basic livelihood have become a reality for multiple households so india has been able to lift millions of its population out of poverty and hunger and the recent focus on a reliance based approach vis-a-vis a dependence based approach is going to go a long way in ensuring that every man in this country has a minimum subsistence to survive to live with dignity and to earn for himself right sir so then what is the evolution of social democracy in ambedkar's vision in the modern indian republic and how do you think we can achieve that sir see the concept of social democracy talks about a high degree of inclusiveness in a society as diverse as india so this inclusiveness may come with certain differences in thoughts in actions in ideas in executions but the crux of the values that hold the democracy together in terms of justice in terms of society in terms of access and in terms of reach must remain the same and india's commitment towards its social democracy through like i mentioned earlier a slew of government schemes and programs only talks about the fact that this commitment is real it is timely and it is one that is designed for evolution and for change so if you look at the outreach that has been done through laws and legislations for inclusion of transgenders to give them dignity to give them access to a good life to give allow them engagement in political spaces only tells you that india's commitment is very strong and very steadfast the amount of government schemes and programs that have ensured this to happen are a plenty but i think we would have a paucity of time really enlisting them here 
so social democracy is the crux of democracy at the end of the day all right so this was a very very fruitful discussion and our listeners had sent in more questions but owing to time constraints we have to move to the very important part which is the upsc prep so this is a question that had come in gs2 in 2019 it talks about what can france learn from india's secularism so could you please elaborate on this question absolutely now when you look at secularism it needs to be understood in the context of a state and in the context of society so when you say that a secular state is one wherein the state does not uphold any religion as a state religion as point 1 and as point 2 it affords protection and equal treatment to all other religions a secular society on the other hand is one which is highly secularized whereby there is no public display of religion its signs its symbols or its leanings in a social space when you look at india's secularism india adopts a positive form of secularism so in a positive form of secularism india not only is a secular state but it allows for positive display of religion in a social space as well france on the other hand is a state which is secular in state and in society so in that sense it looks towards a concept of negative secularism where it negates the display leanings signs or symbols affiliations of religion in a social space it would be wrong to say that france needs to learn from india purely because its environmental operation of secularism is very different from the country that india is we are a heterogeneity we are a diversity and we are unlike the homogeneous societies of the west so in terms of a differentiation the only differentiation that you could see is the one between positive and negative secularism where india is a secular state but is not necessarily a secular society and france is an example of both a secular state and a secular society right so so now coming to the prelims part of it what kind of questions do you think we can expect in the paper regarding india and its republic and whatever the points that we discussed one of the important things to do is to read the preamble very carefully and not only to read it very carefully but to understand the meaning of every word that has been enshrined in the preamble its context and its current approach so for example if you look at we the people give ourselves a sovereign socialist secular democratic republic i would urge all the listeners to pick up every single word what does the word sovereign mean what kind of context was it used when it was used in the preamble what is its current context and its meaning and to analyze it in that way so that you can understand the constitution better like i told you the constitution is a living document so any aspirant who is trying to ensure that his preparation towards indian polity and constitution is of the foremost and best value he must try and give meaning and life to every word that is enshrined in the constitution particularly in the polity syllabus and look at its operation in day to day life whether it be through government schemes and programs legislations or laws or even just a plain simple meaning and reading of the word given in the context and defined in the context of the indian polity thank you so much for your time and patience to deal with our questions sir this should be a very thorough understanding of india and its republic through polity and socio economic lens and as usual it has been a pleasure talking to you sir thanks a lot ruparna i hope the podcasts are reaching listeners 
multiple aspirants and generally allowing for a very very nice intellectual exchange and engagement so thank you very much and i'm looking forward to the next one as well thank you sir to all our listeners this episode has focused on india's story and we hope that we could do justice to the topic through our discussion your inputs feedback suggestions are extremely valuable to all of us and hope to incorporate them into our podcast if you like this episode please show us some love on your favorite podcast streaming channel by saving us to your favorites and following us we are now available on all major streaming platforms apple podcasts google podcasts spotify as well also we have a facebook page and instagram handle and twitter handle all by the name of abhyankar sias can you follow us there for more details on webinars master classes that we conduct and do leave your feedback and suggestions in the comment boxes we have something extremely exciting coming up for listeners please write to us at this email address info@abhyankarsias with your queries suggestions and feedback we shall be happy to help stay safe stay wise and have a great day